so good to be back with you tonight. I love getting down here amongst you when I preach. I preach in my church the same way, so I'm not doing anything different here. I preach up there on Sunday morning, down here on Sunday night and Wednesday night, and I kind of like it better down here. And so I asked, uh, I asked your pastor, could I have a lectern? And so he got me one. I open your Bibles tonight to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6. The Gospel of Luke, chapter number 6. Now, this is part of the uh, Sermon on the Mount, or more technically correct, Sermon on the Plain. And so I want to talk about a different title tonight than I've ever used before in, in, in our messages. It's, it's named The Bill of Rights According to Jesus. And so, you know, early on, uh, Jesus' followers were following him, a lot of followers, not just the 12 disciples, but, but a lot of followers uh, and they expected Jesus to wage war against Rome. They expected Jesus to free Israel and bring God's kingdom to earth immediately. Uh, but Jesus began to challenge them uh, to, according to his will. He basically rocked their world. He, he turned uh, everything upside down. I mean everything in their heart. The way they thought, the way they acted, what they believed. He changed it. He turned it upside down. He cut through centuries and centuries and centuries of, of, of religious tradition, and he gave them truth bombshells that, that demanded that their motives and their attitudes be given higher priority than rituals and religion. I love what Dan said. We can come to church every, every, every week and never change. We can come to church, and, 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 and I talked to a pastor one time, and he was getting ready uh, to resign and, 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 uh, and go to another place. And I said, I said, Brother Jerry, how come you're resigning? He said, well, I've been there 19 years, and people have already heard everything I've got to say. And not only have they already heard everything I've got to say, they know what I'm going to say next. And they not only know what I'm going to say next, they already made up their mind how they're going to respond to what I'm going to say next. And we get like that. You've heard this man preach, I don't know how many years, but you've probably gotten used to his preaching, and you kind of know what he might say. So, so mix up some stuff, brother, and keep them on their toes. Amen. Jesus did. Jesus said, this tradition and rituals, it means nothing. Uh, following me is what means anything. So he shocked them. He made them uncomfortable uh, with, with a, a bizarre-sounding constitution that he gives them tonight. He gives them their Bill of Rights in the Constitution for kingdom citizens, for heaven's citizens. Now, what I want us to do tonight is kind of compare just a little bit uh, of what Jesus called us to surrender, even though we have our own Constitution in America. We have our own Bill of Rights that we're grateful for, by the way, that we're proud of. Uh, the problem with that is that the church at large has baptized the Bill of Rights into our church doctrine. We, we have, the average Christian believes that God has guaranteed us those rights that we have in our United States Constitution and that they ought to be fought for as biblical rights. Now, don't misunderstand me. The Bill of Rights gives us huge benefits. But as we debate them, and as we rewrite them, and as we erode them, the church in, in general at large has begun talking about creating 
uh, communes and taking up arms and not paying taxes. And when we start talking like that, we are, we are creating egregious errors in church doctrine. And so Jesus said, I will build my church. And by the way, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, when he says that, he's not saying that the church will stand here and, 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 and in the end we'll be okay. No, he's not saying that at all. That's an offensive word. He's saying the church of hell shall storm the gates of hell and the gates of hell will not prevail. I will prevail. The gospel will prevail. The word of God will prevail. And so, and so he's calling us, or excuse me, he's not calling us to band together and fight the forces of hell entrenched in government or education or, or whatever, uh, for the church to be able to survive. Remember his promise that he'll build his church. His promise was hell has already lost. And while that's true, he was probably never asked back to speak there again. I wonder how many churches, if Jesus could come speak to us today, would be banned from coming back to speak to us again. He didn't, the audience that he spoke to, they want, remember they wanted Rome removed. They were tired of being taxed and ridiculed and marginalized. And they were ready. They were ready and right for a leader whose message they could rally around for their own personal rights and their own personal freedoms. You ever expected God to do something and then learn it never was his will to begin with? <laughs> well, if you say yes, hold on to your hat. Would you stand with me in honor and reverence to God's Word? And we're going to begin reading in Luke 6, beginning at verse 27, and read through verse 36. <clears throat> Jesus said, well, let's go back to 26. Woe unto you when all men shall speak well of you, for so did their fathers to the false prophet, but... In other words, that little word but means I'm getting rid of making a about face here. I'm going to go. If I'm not going this way anymore, I'm going this way. So hold on to your hat. He said, I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Do good to them which hate you. Bless them that curse you. And pray for them which despitefully use you. And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek, offer also the other and him that taketh away thy cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. Give to every man that asketh of thee. And him that taketh away thy goods, ask him not again. And as ye would that men should do to you, do ye also to them likewise. For if you love them which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do even the same. And if you lend to them of whom you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love you, your enemies, and do good, and lend, hoping for nothing again. And your reward shall be great. And you shall be the children of of the highest, for he is kind unto the unthankful and to the evil. Be ye therefore merciful, as your Father also is merciful. You may be seated as we pray. Father, we, we do thank you tonight for the word. 
We thank you for, for giving us the grace and the mercy um, to love you because you first loved us. We thank you for the blood of, of Calvary's cross that was shed for my sins. I thank you for the Holy Spirit that showed me I was a sinner. I thank you for the word that confirmed that I was a sinner and yet told me that there was a way that I wouldn't have to go to hell. That there was a Lord that came and gave his life on Calvary for me. He died for me because he loved me. He gave his life for me because he wanted me to be in his family. I thank you for that, Lord. I don't have any other friends on this earth like that. The king that would die for the peasant. Thank you, Lord, for loving us. And thank you for what you'll do in our hearts tonight. I pray for this church, Lord. I pray you truly and genuinely will send revival. It may begin today, Lord, but let it go on and on and on and on. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. The first article in the Bill of Rights, according to Jesus, is this. You have the right to love those who disagree with you. And that's in the first part of verse 27. But I say unto you which hear, love your enemies. Jesus said, love your enemies. You see what Jesus is doing there. Jesus, to this large crowd that is gathered to hear him speak on the, on the plain, Jesus is weeding out the pretenders. And, and he's still weeding out pretenders today. There'll be people come to this church, brother, and, and you'll stand in that pulpit and you will say, you're a lost sinner. If you die without Jesus, you're going to hell. And it's not my opinion. It's God's opinion. And they'll say, I don't like that. I'm not coming back. And what's happening? Jesus is weeding out the ones that don't want, that, don't want his impact in their life. They either don't know what he said or they don't think what he said applies to them. But what he certifies right here is he sets the stage for all the rest of our kingdom rights. He sets it with this first one. Love your enemies. Do good to them. Love your enemies. It means agape them. That's a Greek word that means it's a God type love. It's not a human type love. A human type love says, oh, I just have a, a deep affection for somebody. Listen, when you go to, when you go to Africa or, or somewhere else on the mission field, you don't go there because you have a deep affection for those people. That's not love. The type God love says you go because you can help them. You go because I told you to go. You, you choose to love. You, the word love is not, a, is not a noun. It's a verb. It's something you do. And Jesus says you choose to love, not just the ones that love you, not just the ones that care for you, not just the ones that think like you do, but you love even the ones that don't like you, that don't agree with you. You see, he's saying choose to love the one who doesn't merit your love and doesn't deserve your love. You ever, you ever heard anybody else loving like that? Listen, what do you think our God, our, our God did to us? Anybody here can say, oh, I deserve God's love. No, you didn't. I didn't. The Bible says there's none, none good. No, not one. And, but he also says, Jesus says, come unto me, all you labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Jesus says, I am the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and nobody comes to my Father but by me. And so we find that we don't deserve his love, but yet God chose to love us, not based on our merit, not based on our goodness, but based on his goodness and his love and his merit. And so that's the love of God to come. And he said, I want you to replicate or duplicate that love, not just the ones that love you back, but the ones that don't love you back. None of us deserved his love. Now, the word enemies here, it, it means hostile. 
It's, it's not just the ones that are unfriendly to you. These might be the ones that are dangerous to you. These are the ones Jesus was talking about in his day. But see, the Jewish law was clear. The Jewish law said in Leviticus 19, what did it say? It said, love your neighbors. So just like man always does, we say, yeah, but, you know, I, I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying, Lord, but, but you know, who is my My neighbor is somebody that shares my opinion. That's what they said. It's, it's somebody that thinks like I do. You know, it's, a, it's easy for me to love the smart people. You know the ones I'm talking about, the ones that think like I do. You, you see what I'm saying? It's easy for me to love them, right? The smart ones. But how can you show love for your enemies this week, tomorrow? How can you do that? I mean the hard to love. The ones that don't share your personal or religious or political opinions. What did Jesus say? You love them. You agape them. You choose to love them. Second article in, the, in, the, in, this, in these is, is you have the right to serve those who hate you. Then look, look, in, look in 27, the last part of verse 27, it says, Do good to them that hate you. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. The first, he said, was get the right attitude. I choose to love you. And then when you get the right attitude, then you can get the right action. You can't do good to those who hate you until you choose to love them, to choose to do good to them. You choose to help them. You choose not to shun them. You choose not to push them away. Listen, I've given God every reason in the world, every reason in the world to push me away, push me out, to not take me into heaven, to not love me. But you know what he said? I love you. You might go to hell, but you go to hell with me loving you. Jesus said, you love them. Love them. See, you can't, you don't get to avoid these people if you're going to be a kingdom citizen. You don't get to avoid them. You don't, you don't get to quit your job and move away just to avoid them. You see, why not, preacher? Because Jesus said, do good unto them. And it is impossible to physically serve someone who you hate or who hates you, rather, unless you are next to them. You can't do good to them unless you're next to them. Find ways to do good to them. Buy them a cup of coffee at work. That guy that hates your guts at work. Make his hair catch on fire in the morning and buy him a cup of coffee. He'll wonder what you're up to. He start keeping his eye on you. What's that guy up to? Bought me a cup of coffee. Give him a kind word. Give them a ride home if they need a ride home. Give them help with their homework. Buy them a bag of groceries. On and on and on. Moses told us how. Moses said, if you come across your enemy's ox or his donkey that's wandering off, you make sure you, you give it back to him. Take it back to him. That's in Exodus 23. Now, we might rejoice. We might rejoice that they lost their donkey. Amen. Come on. Amen. You, you know I'm telling the truth. You know I am, but I'm just like you. I'm not better than you. I know sometimes that people get under my skin just like to get under your skin. I mean, we might say, well, they deserved it, mm, like we didn't deserve it, you know. Or maybe, maybe you're driving to work one day, and you come across, you ride down the road, and you see your most hated enemies on the side of the road with a flat tire, and you go, you, you, you know, you say, look at that. You blow your horn, you wave at him. <laughs> And you say, God is so good. <laughs> Jesus said, the citizens of my kingdom, the ones that truly belong to me, 
Whether you exercise it or not, you have a supernatural ability through the fruit of the Spirit to love someone who does not love you back. You have the right to serve those who hate you. Thirdly, third article is this. We have the right to be gracious to those who curse you. Look in verse 28. Look, oh boy, it gets, gets gooder and gooder here. Bless them that curse you and pray for them that despitefully use you. The word curse means, in, in this context, means calling down divine trouble on somebody. People in the Old Testament would literally write out curses against people and they would call them prayers and they would take them to their temple and ask their gods to bring trouble into their life, ask them to ruin their crops or bring disease or bring death or kill their children or whatever. And, and they would think, well, I, I'm, I'm doing it in the name of religion here. You may ask God to bring enemy, your enemy some trouble or you might chew them out. But Jesus said, bless those who curse you. You know what the word bless means? It's where we get our word eulogy from. Now, when we go to a funeral, the pastor will stand up and have a eulogy. What's that mean? It means to speak well of somebody. But preacher, I have a bill of rights. It gives me the freedom of speech. I can say anything I want to and speak my mind according to my First Amendment rights. And you can, but Jesus said, I got a different bill of rights. Totally different. You know, we, we say all the time, you said it, I've said it, you know, we're to be different than the world. And we say that, it just rolls off our tongue. It doesn't mean, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. We say, yeah, we're to be different than the world. Well, what's it mean? Right, here's what it means. We're to be different than the world. We're to choose to follow what Jesus told us that citizens of his kingdom would behave. You, you have a right to bless those who curse you. You have a right to pray for those who hurt you in verse 28. Now in 28, in, in verse 28 in the King James Bible, it says, um, it says, and pray for those who despitefully use you. It means to, it means to those who abuse you, who, who mistreat you. Our reaction is not to shout louder, demand our right to free exercise of religion and our, demand our right to, uh, right to peaceably assemble. Oh, it is in your constitution and in mine. It is, and I thank God for it. But it's not in the Bible. Jesus said it's not in my Bill of Rights. Christians meeting around the world today in secret, like China, Iran, Iraq. Where's their Bill of Rights? Jesus gave them his Bill of Rights and us. When Jesus preached this, Christians would, would soon be hiding in the catacombs because they were carting the lions into the, into the, uh, into the, into the Colosseum for Christians to be, uh, to be eaten alive for the sport of the people. We're, we're, to, we're to focus, however. When all that's happening to us, and I can't imagine that. We've never been through that here. But try to imagine as bad a situation like that as you can. And Jesus is saying that you live in a temporal world here, and we are to focus on the eternal destiny of those who are doing the abusing and the persecuting and the mistreating us. We are to be, in other words, we are to be concerned for them because they will live eternally somewhere. Paul was one of the most persecuted believers ever. And, and he wrote to a young pastor named Timothy. Let me read 1 Timothy 2 verses 1 and 2 to you. 
And it says, Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things thou hast heard of me among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. That's wrong. I got the wrong book there. Hold on. I'll, I'll find it in a minute. It's still in the New Testament, I think. Timothy, Paul said to Timothy, he said, I exhort therefore, this is what I was wanting, I exhort therefore that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Does 2 Timothy, I mean, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, does that, does that mimic our Facebook post? I mean, does it? Does it? Or, or your online response to somebody else that hates you or doesn't like what you stand for, don't, they hate what you believe as a Christian. Can they say to you and I, I mean, really, I've been there, I've been there right there with you. Can they say to us, well, I disagree with you, but it's obvious that uh, with you, uh, you, you, with your peaceful, godly response, that you are actually praying for our leaders and for our country, and you are very concerned about the gospel of Jesus Christ more than anything else. I hope they can. I hope they can. Probably not all the time, but I hope they can. I mean, when they talk about us, do the words gentleness and quietness and dignity and graciousness, does that describe you and I? If not, let's change the way we communicate with others. So loving becomes greater than winning. Hey, Jim Neal, you need to hear that. Loving becomes greater than winning. You have a right to pray for the ones that hurt you. The fourth article is this. You have a right to refuse revenge. You don't have to, you don't have to get revenge. Let me, let me go back and find my place in Luke again. Luke 6, verse 29, it says... And unto him that smiteth thee on the one cheek. And Matthew 5 inserts right cheek. And it says, Offer also the other, and him that taketh away the cloak, forbid not to take thy coat also. And so Paul is saying there that you have the right to refuse revenge. It means, when Matthew 5 wrote in the right cheek, it means an insult. You have, when you're insulted by this slap on the cheek, it, 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 doesn't, it doesn't suggest that you let the neighborhood bully have it. That's not what he's talking about. It is, it is reacting supernaturally versus naturally. It's, act, it's reacting like the God that lives in you versus the flesh that dominates you. It's saying react like I would react. It, it's natural to strike back. It is. We love those movies, don't we? Where the guy that's been picked on and pushed around and, and slapped and, and he finally he's had enough and he gets up and he just wipes this other guy out. We love that kind of stuff, don't we? Jesus saying, don't strike back. If he slaps you, somebody, we would say, here's what, here's what our Bill of Rights would say. If he slaps you, knock him out. 
Jesus said, don't strike back. Don't strike back physically. Don't strike back verbally. Don't get even. Don't top their insult. Don't try to be vindicated when you're wrong. Jesus said you have a right to live with never being vindicated while you're still here on this earth. But you will be vindicated in the sight of God. You will be. And you have the right to be robbed of personal possessions. Look in verse 29. Let's, it gets, man, it just, I can see why they didn't ask Jesus back. Amen? We, 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 many of us wouldn't. And he said, and smite on the right cheek and also on the other, and it taketh away thy cloak. Forbid not to take thy coat also. What is he talking about here? He is saying that well, the, the word cloak is a robe that went to the ground. The word tunic is the undershirt. It's worn next to the skin. skin. Maybe Jesus was talking about if you're robbed, or maybe he's talking about legal action. Um, this term is still used today. We talk about someone who's lost their shirt. Somebody's left out in the cold. It means the same thing. We have an American Bill of Rights preacher. Do you not know that yet? Well, it protects it. We do, and it protects, our, it protects our privacy and our possessions and our houses and our papers and our properties and the Fourth and the Fifth Amendments. But Jesus gives, once again, gives us a different Bill of Rights. He said you have a right to lose everything and keep nothing. And, and listen, I understand. We don't like that. We don't like that at all. But Jesus is not, he's not shrinking here the blessing or diminishing the blessing of a just law, but he is telling his disciples. He's to tell us to have an attitude that your personal possessions are temporary. Some of you fellas, you're going to die one day. And your wife, she's, she's, she's going she's gonna to mourn, mourn you for a little while. And then she might get remarried one day. And somebody else is going to come. He's going to live in your house. He's going to drive your truck. He's going to shoot your gun. He's going to use your boat. He's going to sell your fishing rods and buy better fishing rods. What good does that stuff ever do you anyway? It's gone. It's burned up. It's temporal. It does not last. It will not last. Can you hear? I can just hear it now. Can you hear it? You hear that? Those people are sitting there, preacher, and I can hear the air seeping out of their balloons that they were all puffed up about this Jesus. Man, he's going to overthrow Rome. He's going to put us on. He's going to make us leaders. We're going to sit at his right hand. Thousands who couldn't wait to see Jesus and couldn't wait to hear Jesus preach are now they're not so sure about him. And the Bible tells us that after this sermon, many left him and never returned. But Jesus not finished yet. The fifth article is this. You have a right to be generous to people who don't pay you back. Look, look at verse 30. Give to every man that asketh of thee, and of him that taketh away thy goods, ask them not again. Jesus' financial advice here is probably the worst on the planet. Now, the, 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 the context of this is, is the word, we would use the word beg, and, and it means these people are borrowing from you in desperation. Uh, they are borrowing so they can eat, so they can continue to live. That's how desperate they are. The culture that Jesus lived in produced many poor people. And most of these people were one bad harvest away from total destitution and ruin. One poor person lending to another poor person, and, and, and that day was, excuse me, it was risky. Jesus comes along and says, 
If someone needs your possessions and uses your possessions that you loan them and doesn't return them, don't demand them back. Might be your toolbox, it might be your table, might be your milk cow, might be your plow. If they can't afford to give it back, let it go. Wait a minute, preacher. We have a Fifth Amendment. It gives us the right to never be deprived of property without just compensation. Jesus is not suggesting. He's not suggesting we ignore basic rights of property and, and, and possessions. He is holding us now, however, to a, a newer and a higher standard for other people's needs. That's what he's getting at right here. He's saying people are more important than possessions. Loving is greater than winning, and people are more important than possessions. So you have the right to be generous, even if you lose. The sixth article is this. In verses 31 through 36, you have the right to forfeit yourself. You have the right to forfeit yourself. Verse 31 summarizes the golden rule. Let's read verse 31. And as you would that men do to you, do you also to them likewise. The golden rule dates back to the 16th century. And it basically says, as you wish that Jesus is saying, he's going a little bit beyond the golden rule, and he says, as you wish that others would do to you, and they do not. However men you want men to treat you, but they do not treat you that way. Jesus says, press on. Keep going. Keep doing kind deeds. Keep speaking gracious words. Keep praying faithful prayers. Keep performing sacrificial services to them. You might be thinking, and they were probably thinking, you got to be kidding me. Jesus, everybody knows the world don't work like that. I mean, the world, here's how the world works, Jesus. Let me educate you just a minute. The world works like this. I scratch your back, you scratch my back. Jesus knew their hearts, and he knows our hearts. So instead of backing off, we think, well, he might just back off here. He doesn't. He clarifies his point more convincingly in verse 32 through 35. Let's read that. He said, for if you love them, which love you? Ah, we're getting down to the heart of the matter here, aren't we? If you love those which love you, what thank have you? For sinners also love those that love them. Ooh, ouch. And if you do good to them which do good to you, what thank have you? For sinners also do the same. Mm, double ouch. And, and if you lend to them of whom you, you hope to receive, what thank have you? For sinners also lend to sinners to receive as much back. And then he comes, he really clarifies it right here, doesn't he? He says, but love your enemies and do good and lend, hoping for nothing again. And here we go. And your reward shall be great, and ye shall be the children of the highest. As he's saying, you earn your salvation? Not, nope, nope, not, not in the least. Not, not in the least. Not in the least. He's saying, I, I'm, I'm, I see your bill of rights. But I, my bill of rights is higher. I, 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 I like yours, but I want you to obey mine even more. Yours are well, because, but they come naturally. Mine are, mine are supernatural. A lost man cannot, doesn't have the ability to obey my bill of rights. You have the Holy Spirit leading and guiding and showing and directing and dominating your life if you're filled with the Spirit, and He will help you do that. And what, and, and what, what happens when you, you'll be known as the sons of the Most High? I, I'm not calling you to imitate humanity, he said. I'm calling you to imitate deity, sons of the Most High. That's what he said. 
That's what he said in verse 35. Let's read that again. He said, and your reward shall be great, and you shall be the children of the highest. Your actions will reveal. They won't, they won't earn. They won't purchase. They won't merit you being in God's family, but they will reveal if you are a part of God's family. When Jesus refers to the sons of this age, He's talking about people of this world, the ones that murdered the prophets, the ones that bear the resemblance of the ones that rejected the prophets. In Matthew 23, Jesus says, Live by my bill of rights, and you'll be recognized by the world as sons of the Most High. You belong. You won't just be in the family of God, but people will say, He belongs in the family of God, acting just like your gracious Heavenly Father. Even the Roman lost and probably went to hell. Roman philosopher Seneca said this. He even got it. He said, if you wish to imitate the gods, do good deeds to the ungrateful. Everybody in the world can recognize God-like behavior. So if you're citizens of heaven, act like your heavenly father. Stop and look at your heavenly father. What did, what did he do for you? You say, well, I guess he forgave me. No, 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 he didn't just forgive you. From before the beginning, before the beginning of the world, from the foundation of the world, he had, before Genesis 1-1, he had redemption for you already laid out and planned and put into place. He had every preacher already called. He had every deacon already called. He had, he had the Son of God ready to go and die for you. He had, he had every priest that would reject Jesus. He knew about it. Everything that was going to happen in your salvation, he had it already planned before the world ever came into being. And he gave it all to you and all to me for nothing. Because he loved me. Because I would trust him. Because I said yes to him. So who's ignored you? They've ignored the Heavenly Father. Who, who, has, who has blasphemed you? They blasphemed your Heavenly Father. Yet he sends rain to them. Even though his followers, you and me, we're persecuted sometimes. Maybe not so much here. We might be mocked here, but we're not really persecuted so much yet. But you go around the world, it's different. His followers are persecuted and they're marginalized. And he still offers forgiveness to the world. I'm glad he does because at one time, I was one of those that was mocking Christians. I'm glad that God didn't say, okay, you're out. You're out. Oh, no, he still sent Somebody tell me about Jesus. He still sent the Holy Spirit to, to, to soften my heart and, and convict my heart and draw me. He still sent the preachers to preach the Word so I could confirm it. And the Word of God convicted me that I needed Jesus. And the Holy Spirit said, come, I'll show you how. And I got down on my knees and all I did was said yes to Him. And everything I needed to go to heaven forever was given to me by grace. That's our Heavenly Father. So let's close this out tonight with three practical applications. The first one is this, reject the rhetoric. Reject what you hear today. What do we hear today, preacher? All Christians must fight for personal and religious rights. Now, we should voice our objections and claim our legal rights as citizens. We should. Just as Paul claimed his right to a fair trial in Acts 25, 11. But Paul did not view his rights there as God-given right. He didn't view them as God-given guarantees that he could get a fair trial. He, he just said, if I can get it, I'm going to take it. Listen, I, I'm all for that. If, uh, if Paul gave them as 
God-given guarantees, which he did not, then people in China, Christians in China, in North Korea, in Iran, in Iraq, and all around the world where it was against the law to be a Christian would want to have a little talk with Paul, who, by the way, was martyred unfairly without a trial for his stand for Jesus Christ. If you think that, you're going to be an angry believer. If you think the Bill of Rights are biblical for rights for the believer, look how Jesus modeled giving up his rights to act like God. Listen, he gave up his right to live like God. He walked the dirty roads, nasty roads, uh, just like the rest of the disciples did. He, he gave up his right to be treated like God. Every single one of his rights were demolished to give us the, the one right that we must claim. And that right that we do have in him is this. As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become the sons of God, the children of God. That's in John 1.12. Secondly, let's rise above the arguments. Do our social media posts reveal that we're concerned more about the progress of the gospel than we are about winning an argument? Or do your political perspectives, do they have to be heard? Do they need to be heard? Listen, if I would would witness to people as much about my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ as I do about who I like politically, I would have won a lot more people to the Lord than I have. And that's on me. I don't know about you, but that's me. Rise above. Get above the arguments. Get beyond the arguments. Do what you have to do to get beyond. Thirdly, don't forget where they're headed, by the way, but thirdly, remember the Great Commission. Our commission? Yes, it is. What is our commission? Our commission from this book is to make disciples of all nations. Now, this this commission has not changed in over 2,000 years. For the past 2,000 years, it's been in place. And it's, it's not to replace, our, com- our commission is not to replace political leaders. Although we vote our conscience, and we should, and I will, and I hope you will. And, and we ought to take advantage of our freedoms for righteousness' sake. But let's remember our greater mission. Our greater mission is not temporary. And our greater mission is it's not about winning at the ballot box because, because our mission is not to get our country to return to more conservative roots. Now, there's nothing wrong with conservative roots. Trust me, I'm probably more conservative than most of you here. And I'm thrilled. I jump up and down and shout when a Christian wins seats on the school boards and, and judges and, and political office because righteousness, the Bible says in Proverbs 14, righteousness always exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to many people but our but our mission as christians as heavenly citizens as kingdom citizens our mission from god is not to make conservatives it is to make someone a disciple of jesus christ that's what you're called to do that's what you're commissioned to do not by me but by god our mission is not even to return america to judeo-christian ethics or save america but to remind the citizens of Jesus Christ that even though they may silence us and they may insult us and they may hate us and they may defraud us and they may persecute us, we are to compassionately remind them of the grace of the gospel. We're to remind them there's another country. We're to remind them there's a greater citizenship. There's a higher allegiance. There's an eternal kingdom, a coming king that we must surrender to. 
that we must give our life to if we are going to be heavenly kingdom citizens. My question tonight to Chevis Road Baptist Church is, are we giving our life to be kingdom citizens or are we just westernized Christians, just cultural Christians? You know what cultural Christians are, don't you? That means they go to church and they, they endeavor to maintain some sort of um, respectable life and they talk about God, but they would never sit down and ask somebody, do you know Christ? Can I tell you about my Savior? They would never do that. Cultural Christians are probably not saved Christians. They're just what Americans might call Christians. But tonight we have heard what Jesus says that we are how we're to live if we're going to be heavenly citizens. And let me just tell you, unless you misunderstand me, I am not preaching down to you. I'm saying this is still a challenge for me. This is still a, a challenge for me every day in my life. But my question to you on the invitation tonight, will you as best you can, with God's help, with the Holy Spirit's help, with the Word of God's help, will you take up that challenge? Will you accept that challenge? Will you go forward as best you can, learning day by day in the process of that challenge to be a kingdom, heavenly citizen, serving the King of the Most High God? Let's stand. Let's stand. Uh, Brother, Brother Kyle, uh, we get somebody to come and, and play us the invitation hymn. Uh, we'll have an invitation. Father, we thank you tonight. We love you and we praise you. And we give you honor and we give you glory for who you are. And I pray in this journey, in this process, that day by day, Father, that you deal with us about these articles of, of, our, of our heavenly constitution, our bill of rights, so to speak. And I pray as we do, Lord, that one by one, that they may become more and more and more a part of our life. Where we accept our commission from you, we accept our calling from you to be heavenly citizens, kingdom people. And as we do, Lord, like Dan said, we just won't come to church anymore and sit and sour and soak and go home, never change. We'll just, we'll get more like you every day. That when our pastor preaches here at Chevis, Chevis Oaks, Lord, we'll, we'll use it to, to build us up and to, and to nourish us in the faith. And we'll go forward. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.